From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, beauty is in the eye of the cosmetic wearer. Botox in a jar are these topical neurotoxins which do improve fine lines, but in a way that you don't want. First this. 2017 marks the launch of a new meeting, the iWorld Surgical Summit in Deer Valley, Utah. The beauty of Deer Valley is astounding. Gorgeous mountains, crisp air, wonderful food, and Deer Valley is justifiably famous for its fabulous skiing. And all of this is just the backdrop to the most convivial and practical meeting of the year. The iWorld Surgical Summit focuses on advances and techniques that you can apply to your practice immediately. Look for links to next year's Surgical Summit at surgicalsummit.iworld.org. And did I mention the skiing? This is part two of my interview with Laura Perryman on the multitudinous effects of cosmetics on ocular structures. What are parabens and why do they matter in in all this mix? So parabens are a common ingredient in cosmetics, drugstore products, skincare. So some of your male listeners may be thinking, oh, good, I'm not prone to this problem. Well, male skincare products, aftershave, sunscreen, et cetera, are paraben-laden. So if I get, and the problem with parabens is that they are, they have an estrogenic effect and they are just as toxic to human corneal uh, cell cultures as BAK, which is a problem. So there's direct cellular toxicity of this agent, a common conditioning preservative agent in over-the-counters. So clinically what I'll do is when I have that, you know, 40-year-old man with significant MGD and terrible looking mybum, as I'll say, first thing I want you to get rid of all the parabens and everything they're using. And they'll be like, wow, there's not much out there. I'm like, you're right. There's not much out there and there needs to be more out there. Parabens are uh, uh, negatively impacting of the mybomian glands as well. And there's mybomian gland cell culture demonstrating that and the estrogenic effect of parabens is also concerning for MGD because we know that testosterone is protective against MGD. And when you lose testosterone through menopause or normal male aging, then that uh, is another risk factor. Hormones are another risk factor for MGD. So if I look for products that are paraben-free, then I'm golden? No, I wish it was that simple. <laughs> There's lots of products to look out for. You got to look out for your parabens, your uh, formaldehyde donating preservatives, your BAK, alcohols, waxes, and curious anti-aging ingredients that are touted as being the fountain of youth, but things like retinol and argireline, which is Botox in a jar, are very much additional ocular surface disease offenders. So what, I'm new to the, well, I'm new to all of this, but I'm, I'm particularly new to, to anti-aging products. So what do I tell patients to, to, to look for, or, or what do I have a sort of heads up for? So with anti-aging products, my best advice to my patient is get a paraben-free sunscreen. That's the best anti-aging product. I, that's another thing I take away from my patients is their anti-aging creams because they're so laden with OSD unfriendly agents. For example, retinols, Retin-A uh, and all of their cousins are very toxic to my mobile glands. That's a problem. The um, argireline, which is out of France, it's a, actually a neurotoxin and they're looking at clinical trials as a topical treatment for blepharospasm. So for me, having a neurotoxin near the eyes twofold problematic. Number one, you have a decreased force of blinking 
that's a problem for creating that wet and spread of your tear film, uh, that squeegee effect of your lids against the tear film, and even expressing that tiny bit of mybom out of your mybomian glands. The other problem with uh, <clears throat> argyrolene or, and its mybomian gland toxicity is there's new research showing that the mybomian glands are neurobiologically connected to the central nervous system. And if you're putting a neurotoxin right around there, you're limiting the command from the central nervous system to create mybom. That's also a problem. Laura, I, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for, for me to fathom that there are products on the shelf that are neurotoxins and that above that, they're not accidentally neurotoxins, but that they're, that they're neurotoxins um, by, by intention, that this is their, 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 their mechanism of, of action. Now, is, is this what, I mean, what an awful phrase. Is, is this what Botox in a jar is? Correct. That's what's touted as Botox in a jar are these topical neurotoxins, which do improve fine lines, but in a way that you don't want. You don't want that weakening effect of your orbicularis muscle and the limitations on the mybomian glands. Laura, what is waterproof makeup? <laughs> waterproof makeup is, uh, it has chemicals in it designed to prevent coming off when you cry, swim, etc., which seems like it would be a good thing. <clears throat> but I tell my dry patients, look, there's two times a year where you get to wear your waterproof makeup, and that's at a wedding and a funeral. Otherwise, forget about it because it's so full of ocular surface disease offending ingredients. So not only are the ingredients not good for the ocular surface, the chemicals required to remove that makeup are even more full of ocular surface disease and friendly ingredients, including those liquid makeup removers with that super high BAK, parabens, alcohols, EDTA, etc. It's 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 a it's a bash day on the ocular surface. Laura, there there are there are some conversations that that I find difficult. One of them is uh, if if someone has got a limbal stem cell problem that's related to contact lens wear, and I need to convince them to to curtail contact lens wear. That conversation is 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 difficult, and I I believe often fruitless. You know, as the patients don't come back, I don't know what <laughs> what, what they're what they're doing. One one conversation that's really hard is uh, every now and then I will have a patient who has got an ocular allergy and a new pet, and it's obvious that the allergy is to, to the pet. It's a very hard conversation. Laura, I don't even know where to begin to, to discuss issues of cosmetics with, with my patients. I, 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 I feel as a result of this, this conversation that I understand some of the pharmacology, I am uneducated in their use. Well, we're learning more all the time. These series of articles I co-authored with Amy Gallant-Sullivan and Leslie O'Dell, optometrist in Pennsylvania, uh, we keep uncovering more and more information, and we've created a series of infographics that you can find in our online materials, our published articles that we've done for advanced ocular care, ophthalmology management, and optometry times. And I'd, I actually hand those out to my patients. They're cute little infographics with here's the top 10 don't list, here's the list of ingredients to avoid. So I don't expect my colleagues to know this information at the same level that I do, but I'm now on a mission to like bring this to light and point it out as a contributor to your ocular surface disease patient. In fact, the uh, TFOS DUES 2 committee has a subcommittee on iatrogenic, uh, it has an iatrogenic committee on, they will, and they will be expressing and publishing uh, some of the issues that you and I have talked about here today. So there will be more and more written materials to reference, point to, educate your patient, educate yourself, educate your staff. Um, so I'm hoping that decreases some of your 
overwhelmed feeling, and I'm sorry for that, but I, I, it's, it's a journey I've been on for at least five years, so there's, there's a lot to know. So, Laura, there, there's there's a, a question that I've got to ask that I know that that you that you don't you don't particularly want me to, but I I, I need to know <laughs> for for my own practice. So let 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 me let me set it up like like this, Laura. I know that you don't endorse any particular makeup product, and since right. some manufacturers produce a variety of products, I guess that you probably don't recommend against the use of products from a, a particular brand. Or I know maybe I'm wrong about this, but. I, I need some guidance here. Are there particular right. products that I can recommend as alternatives for patients who are clearly suffering reactions to their current cosmetics? And are there particular products that should prick my, my ears up that, that might be associated with OSD? Great. So I hear three things in that question. Um, and that's a great question. Number one, are you teaching patients to read their ingredients labels? I'm teaching my colleagues to read the ingredients labels, and some of those top 10 infographics will give you the cliff notes of things to avoid. Number two, simplify your regimen. When you look at somebody's vanity and beauty counter, it's shocking the variety of products that we're using and we're being exposed to every single day. Simplify your routine. Your female patients that choose to wear makeup, or male, I don't, I don't judge. I love it when a man comes in wearing makeup. The easiest way, you can still look beautiful, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So what I recommend to my patient is, listen, you really need to simplify what you're doing here. I want you to stop stripping your oils. You'll save a fortune in your eye creams, which have unfriendly ingredients in them anyway. Use some organic argan oil from Trader Joe's. It's eight bucks and use a Trader Joe's micellar makeup remover wipe. Saves them a ton of money, limits their exposures to these things that we know create problems but I, I'm, I'm reluctant to point out who the truly bad guys are. That's fair. That's that's. Um, I'm 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 already grateful for for the guidance. So then let let, let me ask the, the, this, this last question, and in a way the the most practical one, which is in in your own clinical practice, what do you do and. Do you include cosmetic question use in your ocular surface disease questionnaire? I screen them for, so I screen my dry patient for cosmetics use, um, and you can usually tell who this is um, in, in your clinic, and I'll really do a deep dive on it for that patient that's not responding on the timeline I expect them to. I expect my drugs and procedures to work, and when things are not cruising along the way I expect them to, I start looking for other things, including toxic exposures on a daily basis on the vanity. So I'll say, next visit, I want you to bring me everything that you're using, everything, and we're going to go through it. And they, I end up throwing out 90% of it and give them back, Here, here's the 10% you get to keep. We're going to start over. Here's your shopping list. So it just becomes a revamp, overhaul, a detox, if you will, for what you're using around your eyes. Really, really interesting. Laura, thank you so, so much. I hope, I hope it's helpful, and I really appreciate your kind time and attention. Laura Perryman comes to us from Seattle, Washington. Dr. Perryman has published a number of articles on the subject of today's podcast. One excellent one is, When Beauty Doesn't Blink, we look at exacerbators of ocular surface disease that lurk on product labels in cosmetic bags. Published in the August 1, 2016 issue of Ophthalmology Management. Ask questions of Dr. Perryman or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iworld.org. 
As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.